Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. It's great to see you. My name's Chris. Uh, I'm another Chris, just in case we've not met before. It's great to have you here with us, both on-site and online as well. And I get to kick off a brand new series today called Greater Reward. Now, I wonder how many of us and how many of you are hoping for something different this year. Maybe you're hoping for something different in our country, in our world, Maybe you're hoping for things to be different in terms of a cost of living crisis or wars around the world or, or things that are going on, long waiting lists for health treatment, all of that kind of stuff. Maybe you're hoping for something to be different this year in our world or in our country or wherever we might be thinking of. Or let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Maybe you're hoping for something different in your own life this year in 2023. Maybe you're hoping for something to be different with your uh, health or maybe your weight or your fitness. Maybe you're hoping for something to be a little bit different in your personal finances this year. Maybe to get out of debt or to live without the constant stress of knowing uh, are you going to be able to make ends meet. Maybe you're hoping for something different in your relationships this year. Maybe you're hoping for a better marriage or a better relationship with your kids or better friendships with other people or more time to spend with friends or with family. Maybe you're hoping this year for a better work-life balance. Maybe you're hoping for a little bit more time at home or with people that you love. Maybe you're hoping this year that you'll be less stressed or less anxious than you were last year. Maybe you're hoping this year for growth in your relationship with God, getting closer to God this year. Maybe you've made resolutions in the past. It's a little bit cliched at this time of year, I know, to talk about resolutions. Maybe you've made some, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've set some goals. Maybe you've done things in the past where you've set out with really good intentions I'm intending to do something. I'm intending to lose some weight or eat better or go to the gym or I'm intending to do better with my financial management, whatever it might be. You've set out with those good intentions, but you found, like many of us find, that our good intentions don't sustain us into the longer term. And very quickly, those good intentions turn out to be a failure. Maybe you start strong, but then your good start wanes into nothing. Here's a question that I often ask myself when it comes to my good intentions not turning into reality. And the question is this, why is it that I find it so difficult to actually make the changes in my life that I would like to see or my intentions would lead me to do? Why is it that our good intentions don't always turn into action? Well, through the course of this series, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how we can actually see some of our good intentions become a reality and how we can choose what we're going to call through this series the greater reward. How we can choose what's better for us in the long term versus the short-term fix that we so often head down the road of. I've got a spoiler alert for you. Through the course of this series, we're going to be talking about a word that gets a really bad rap. We're going to be talking about a word that when you hear it in a moment, may make your stomach turn. It may make you want to turn off, both kind of emotionally and mentally if you're in the room, or literally if you're on YouTube, this may make you want to turn off. But actually, this word, although it gets a bad rap, I think is a gift. 
And it's the thing that will help us become the person we most want to be. And the word is discipline. And before you turn off, before you turn off, before you turn off, I want to explain how discipline is actually a gift. And we were talking, Jamie and I were talking in the studio before the service started with those uh, folks who are online about what discipline brings to their minds. And people have been giving us some feedback on the chat and some people have been saying, yes, it normally has a a negative connotation, discipline, but actually it can be positive. It can be about building healthy habits. Jamie was telling us a story online this morning. If you know Jamie Brooker, who was hosting with me online, you know Jamie loves railways. And he was telling me a story about how when he was a kid, he saved up to buy a particular model railway train that he wanted. An example of a healthy habit of discipline ultimately leading to a greater reward. So I want to explain how this discipline thing is actually a gift and not something we should be turned off by. And here it begins with this. Here's a definition of discipline that I really hope is going to keep your attention, is going to stop you from switching off, and that actually I hope through the course of this series you'll find helpful. I think it's really helpful. And it's a simple, simple definition. And the definition of this, discipline discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. The truth is, so many of us want similar things. We want some of those things I talked about earlier, better relationships, better financial management. We want to be healthier and fitter. We want to lose weight. We want to have a better relationship with God. We want to have a better work-life balance. Most of us want very similar things. Most of us have those kind of desires often within us. But we need to realize that our desires don't determine who we become. Disciplines determine who we become. Our desires don't determine what we do. Disciplines determine what we do. Hoping for a better life won't bring a better life. And actually, even trying harder for a better life won't give us a better life. Training, training for a better life is what actually brings it to us. Good habits, good habits are what bring it to us. And most of us have good habits in some part of our lives, but not in others. Here's a personal example. I have, uh, over the years, built a habit of managing our personal finances as a family. And not to brag, but I think I do it quite well. I'm quite disciplined around our finances, about what we spend. I don't find it difficult to resist the temptations that are all around us to spend money willy-nilly. I have actually found a discipline in managing our finances. Much of that I was taught by my dad, who's an accountant, and who managed our family finances in a very disciplined way when I was growing up, because we didn't have very much. And my dad did that, and I think I've learned that from him. So I think, in that area of my life, I found really good discipline, good habits. In another area of my life, which has to do with what I eat, I have no good habits at all. I just want to fess up to that this morning. I find that really difficult. If there's anything, and I tell you what, you you are so lovely that many of you bought us amazing gifts for the staff team for Christmas, and they've all sat in our office. And I have to walk past them every time I go out to collect something off the printer or go to the loo or, you know, whatever it is. Every time I pick something up from the pile of chocolates and mince pies and cakes and everything that you all amazingly and blessed us with, and I just want to say, stop doing that. 
No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean it, because the rest of the team, they're all healthy and fine, and they don't mind what they eat. I have no discipline in my life about what I eat, and it's not an easy, it's a bad habit. And, and so I think most of us resonate with that, don't we? That we find some areas of our lives difficult, easy to build good habits in, or we, we've worked on it over the years, we've trained over the years, and other areas of our life where we find it really difficult. And the, the difference is not opportunity, Okay, because there's plenty of opportunity, like for me, there's plenty of opportunity to eat food that's bad for me. There's plenty of opportunity to spend money I don't have. It's, it's not the difference, it's not opportunity. It's not temptation. There's temptation for all of those things. All around. The difference is the habits and the disciplines that I've built into my life. And that is true for all of us. That's true whether we're a Christian or not a Christian, whether we're exploring faith. That's true whether we're on site or whether we're online. The truth is all of us have that going on in our lives. And today we're going to talk about where we can find some help, where our help can come from if we struggle with control or if we feel out of control or if we feel out of control when it comes to our habits. We all do this. We all do it. And many who have gone before us have struggled with this as well. And I want you to know, if you're struggling with this, you are not alone. I am not alone. We're all struggling with this. And many who have gone before us, who we might even consider to be role models or heroes of the Christian faith, have struggled with this. Let me give you an example. I want to introduce you, if you've never met him before, to a guy called Paul. Paul is a hero of the Christian faith. He lived some 2,000 years ago. He was one of the first followers of Jesus, and he uh, had an amazing experience, an encounter with Jesus. He started setting up churches and writing letters and went on these great journeys to tell people about God and about Jesus. He's a hero of the Christian faith, but I want you to listen to what he says in one of his letters to a bunch of people in a church in Rome, which is in the New Testament part of the Bible, about his struggles with this, his kind of his, his whole thing in, in this section that we're going to look at today is, can be summarized by this. Help, Paul is saying, I'm out of control. Where does my help come from? You know, so we all struggle with this, even heroes of the Christian faith. And look, this is what Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 15 and following. We're going to look at a few verses together. This is Paul saying, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. There's a lot of do's there, right? But anybody resonate with this, by the way? Uh, why, Paul is saying, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do and the things I do want to do, I don't do? Why do I keep doing the things actually that I hate to do? Any of us resonate with this, this idea that why do we keep doing the things that give us a short-term hit of pleasure but we know are not beneficial to us in the longer term. Why do we keep drifting away from what is there for us in terms of a greater reward further down the line for an instant hit of gratification now? Why don't I do those things that deep down I know I want to do? Why don't I do them? Why do I sacrifice what I want most for what feels good now? This is Paul's struggle so this is, this is encouraging for me, by the way, that if Paul is struggling with this, well, okay, maybe it's okay that I struggle with this too. Then what does he say? What does he go on to say? He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So Paul is trying to uh, understand why he's doing these things. Anybody resonate with this, 
by the way. There feels like there's something in me that's making me make these choices and decisions that I don't really want to make, but I keep making. It feels like there's something inside of me that leads me into doing the things I don't want to do. Now, we need to be really clear. Paul is not disclaiming responsibility for his actions here, but he is explaining them. He's saying that there seems to be some sort of force in him that leads him to act in the way that he does. He goes on to say, verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Any res- anybody resonate with this? I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't do it. I want to do the good stuff, but I just can't help it. Oh, and by the way, I keep on doing it. By the way, this is a cycle that's going on here. I keep on doing it. Well, Paul kind of carries on in this vein for a few more verses. And all the time in these verses, he's emphasizing the two sides of himself. The willing versus the doing. The mind versus the flesh. It's almost like there's a battle going on for his allegiance. And all of us are just like Paul. We all experience this kind of inner turmoil, this inner battle. And he keeps on going on this vein until he gets to verse 24. And in verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. So he's kind of continued to bash through this. And he goes to the point saying, oh, what a wretched man I am. You see, because this cycle that we just talked about uh, there, that he keeps on doing this, this is a cycle that ultimately starts to speak into his identity. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Now, I don't know again whether you resonate with this. But Paul is starting to connect his failure to do the things he really wants to do, to live out the desires that he has, his failure to do that. He's starting to connect to his identity. He's in a cycle of shame. And we can get into that cycle of shame too. That we we resolve to try to do something different. We make a, a decision in our minds to do something different. We have a desire to do something different. And maybe we start out strong, but ultimately we give in and we do what we don't want to do. And we kind of then get into that negative thought of, oh, I've done it again. What an idiot I am. Why do I keep doing this? Why can't I make the change I want to change? And we get into a cycle of shame And maybe, ultimately, we get to this sort of point that Paul has reached. Oh, what an idiot I am. What a failure I am. What a wretched person I am. And our identity starts being affected by our inability to do the things that we really want to do. But then, the next part of verse 24 says this. Who will rescue me? What a wretched man I am, says Paul. Who is going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death, that my nature that leads me to keep on doing these things? Who is going to rescue me? How can I be saved? How can I be rescued? Well, look what he says next. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul has found the answer. If you have that sense, if you resonate with this, if you have that sense that something is not quite right with your life, 
If you have that sense that something is missing or that you wish something could be different, but there's just something that's missing. Or if you want to live in a way that honors God, but you keep struggling, something is missing. Actually, do you know what? It's not something that's missing. It's someone that's missing. And that someone comes with a power you do not have. That someone comes with a way to heal that nature that is inside all of us to do the things that we shouldn't do. That someone comes with a power to heal and restore that. And Paul was wrestling with this. He was wrestling with his distorted identity. Who will keep me from this life of sin, he says. Who can help me change? Who can help me to be different? Who can help me live in the way that I want to live? Who can help me live in a way that honors God? These are the questions that Paul is struggling with. And then he gets to this point. He struggles with all of that in the first few verses that we looked at. And then he gets to the point. He gets to the answer to his big question. Thank God that there is an answer, and the answer is to be found in Jesus. He's found the answer because Jesus has a power that we don't have. And it's the power to set us free, and it starts with our identity. It's not about behavior or behavior modification. It's not how the change happens. The change happens when we realize where our identity is rooted, and it starts with our identity, and this is about spiritual transformation, not just about trying harder. It's not even about trying harder. And the difference between spiritual transformation and just trying harder is night and day. It's not about you trying to be a better version of you. You know that never works. It's about a power greater than anything your willpower can summon, and it's a power that changes us and transforms us from the inside out. And it empowers us to realize all of the God-given potential that is inside of us. The powers of darkness and the powers of this world want you and I to think that we are what we did. Or we are what we didn't do. Or that we're bad because of our latest failure to do what we would like to do but have struggled to do. The powers of darkness and the powers of this world want us to come to the conclusion with Paul that we are a wretched person. But actually, that isn't the conclusion that God comes to about you and about me. This is so important. If you take away nothing from today, I want you to take away this. You aren't what you did. You aren't what you didn't do that you should have done. You aren't what other people say you are. You aren't even that voice of discouragement that tells you you can never achieve anything or you failed again. You aren't even that voice of discouragement inside you. And if you aren't a Christian, I want you to hear this too. That people who follow Jesus believe there is a power greater than anything that the world throws at us or any power of darkness. This is one of the reasons why those who are Christians are Christians. <laughs> Because this is where our identity is rooted. This is what God has done. And I want you to know, if you're not a Christian, that this is one of the big things for you to explore. That you aren't what you did or you didn't do. You are who God says you are. And God kind of seals that and confirms it when he 
sent his son, Jesus. Who are you? Who am I? We are who God says we are. And God says you're forgiven. God says you're loved beyond measure. God says there is no condemnation in Jesus. God says you are his beloved son or daughter. And of all of this wrestling that you can read about in this section of Paul's letter to the Romans, we discover that Paul has discovered this. Paul has realized, even in all of his struggles, that his identity is not rooted in what he did or didn't do. It was rooted in Jesus and that that delivered him and rescued him. And he was grateful. Thanks, God. He was grateful. And by the way, if you ever wonder why we sing a lot in church, it's because we should be grateful. And that those of us who have found Jesus and encountered Jesus are grateful. And how do we express our gratitude? Well, there's lots of different ways. But one of the great ways to express our gratitude, particularly when we're together, is to sing, is to use music to do that. And that's one of the big reasons why we sing. Because singing gives us this kind of corporate element to our gratitude together because we're joining in with an activity to express that gratitude. That's why we sing. That's why we call it worship. Because we are saying to God, thank you. And that's why it's so important that we do it. Now, I bet some of you, if I could read your minds right now, I think some of you are thinking this. Well, that all sounds very good spiritually. How is that going to work out practically? This all sounds great for a Sunday in church or on YouTube, but what does it mean on Monday morning when I'm wrestling with life and I'm wrestling with discipline and all the busyness of the world is crowding in around me and the kids are yelling at each other and I've got to get them to school and then I've got to get to work or whatever it is your Monday morning looks like. Well, in another one of Paul's letters, I think he lets us know how this works out practically. Because look, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says, walking by the Spirit helps us not to give in to our nature. And we just need to explain a couple of words here that Paul uses. So the word Paul uses here for flesh, in the original Greek that he wrote it in, it's a word called sarx, S-A-R-X. And uh, Paul uses that a lot. And in the New Testament part of the Bible, it's used over 150 times. And elsewhere, Paul says, we don't put our confidence in the sarx, in the flesh, And that word means kind of our nature, our passions, our desires, or our willpower. So Paul is saying that we don't put our confidence in our passions or our desires or our willpower. Instead, we put our confidence, Paul says, in walking by the Spirit. That is, walking every day in the presence of God in your life. And the other word that I want to highlight here, which I think is particularly powerful, is the word that we translate walk. Peripateo is the Greek word that Paul would have used for walk. And the important thing about this is that it's in the present tense when Paul uses it. If you're a language scholar, you know about tenses and all that kind of stuff. The rest of us just need to know that this means, the present tense means, a continuous action. 
Not have walked by the Spirit or will walk by the Spirit, past and future tenses, but continue to walk by the Spirit, present tense. It means a continuous action, a habitual way of life. So Paul is telling us how we can be different, how we can really change, how this works out in practice. Walk by the Spirit, continue to walk by the Spirit, continue to walk with the presence of God. That's what we mean by the Spirit. So how are we really going to change things this year? How am I? How are you? How are we really going to be different this time around with the things that we would like to change in our lives? How are things going to be different in our desire to live in a way that honors God? And by the way, when we live in a way that honors God... Because God is for us, it ensures we are living in the best possible way. Because God is a heavenly father who loves us perfectly, living in a way that honors him, lives in the way that he knows is best for us. So living in a way that honors God makes our relationships better, our life better, our relationship with God better, our relationship with other people better, the way we handle things better, the way we do our work lives better. Living in a way that honors God makes our lives better. And by the way, living in a way that honors God ensures we're living in a way that honors all of those people around us too, because God is for them as much as he is for us. How do we ensure we do that? Well, we walk by the Spirit. We root our identity in Jesus. And the way to do that is to walk. And walking is the key taking a step. When we walk, we take a step and then another step and another step. Taking a step that is inspired by God and his will for us, followed by another step that's inspired by God and another one and another one and another one. And that builds into a continuous habit. We train ourselves to walk in step with God. And that training beats trying harder every day of the week. And before long, as we're doing that walk and we've built that habit, we are walking by the Spirit daily. And our identity is becoming more and more rooted in Jesus and who God says we are. And so things begin to change. And interestingly, Paul talked about walking, not running. And I have no claim over that, by the way. I was talking to somebody this week who was in and around the office about the premise of this talk today. And they said to me, oh, and of course, Paul talked about walking, not running. So I'm stealing their idea, but I'm giving them credit. Walking, not running. Walking. This thing cannot be rushed. It takes time. You can't sprint your way to change. You can't sprint your way to spiritual transformation. You can't sprint your way to a relationship with God that honors him and honors others. It takes time. And of course, you know this, the greater reward almost always takes more time than the instant gratification. The desires of the flesh, as Paul put it, often have an immediate payoff but of course the greater reward is always worth it. So let's cycle our way back as we come in to finish with the questions we asked at the beginning of the talk today. What is it that you want most? 
to be fit and healthy, to be financially free, to have a great marriage, great family, great friendships, more time for people? Uh, Do you long for a more meaningful ministry for God? Do you long for a deeper relationship with your heavenly Father? Well, all of those things take time. They take walking by the Spirit, one step in front of another and another and another, one step of faith after another and another and another. And that leads to the greater reward. And it's not about shame-driven, trying harder, stronger willpower attempts to change. It's about being Spirit-led. It's about your identity being rooted in Jesus. And because of that, because your identity is rooted in Jesus, you want to engage more with God. You want to engage more with his word to us in the scriptures. You want to spend more time hanging out with him because of your identity in Jesus. And being spirit-led means you will have the power of God to choose what you want most over what you want now. And that is the joy of discipline. None of us have the willpower to become really who we have the potential to become. None of us have the willpower to become who God would love us to become. None of us have the willpower to become who we're supposed to become. None of us. But discipline or self-control is a fruit of a spirit-empowered life. And elsewhere again, Paul tells us about the fruit of a life spent in step with the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit of God. And Paul tells us those fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. It's a fruit of a Spirit-empowered life. So what do you really want most? A short-term immediate hit or the greater reward? What do you want to be different Whatever it is, the answer lies in a spirit-empowered life. Let's pray together. And we're going to just create an opportunity, a moment in the busyness of life and whatever your day has looked like, whether you're here on site with us or whether you're online, we just want to create a moment for us to connect with God and to ask his spirit, to fill us, to empower us. And uh, we're going to send you home today, if you're on site with us, with a little fridge magnet that you can put up on your fridge. that says, God, fill me with your spirit so that I can choose what I want most over what I want now. You'll get one of those on the way out of our service today. And I'd love to invite you to spend every day, every morning when you wake up and you've stuck this somewhere, like on your fridge where you know you're going to see it first thing in the morning, to stop and pray that prayer. And we're going to pray it now. And in fact, what I think I'd love to invite you to do is to stand just to, to, because I think if you're on site or online with us, just stand. Because I think somehow when we're standing, we we can just do a little bit more with our bodies just to open ourselves up to being receptive to God. I hope this isn't weird uh, for you. It's not intended to be weird, but it's just something about body language sometimes, isn't there? So let's, let's just be in that place where we're ready to receive from God, be filled afresh with his spirit, be empowered to walk every day with him. Again, however you find that physically able to respond if it's arms out in front of you it's just to be relaxed if it's to raise arms in the air whatever it is that 
is helpful for you. Lord God, I pray now, just come as we begin this new year together as a church family, as a community, as people maybe joining in for the first time. Just, Lord, as we begin this new year, we want to open ourselves up to being filled and empowered by your presence, your spirit. Lord, we long to be freed and released from that cycle of shame that many of us have got ourselves in. We think you can't possibly love us or I've messed up again. Oh God, you know, how can you possibly see me or want me? What a wretched person I am. Lord, rescue us from that, redeem us from that. Help us in these moments to be so filled with your spirit that we just have that overwhelming sense of being your son and your daughter being loved beyond measure, set free and redeemed and rescued because of Jesus. Lord God, come and break the chains of bondage that have kind of sat on us in our lives where we've given into that lie that we're not worthy or we've messed up again or we've failed again or we can't make the change that we want. Just release us from that in these moments, I pray. So fill us with your spirit that our identity in Jesus is rooted and confirmed in us. Any of us who are here have not experienced that before, Lord God, I just pray, come in power. Help us to encounter Jesus for the first time today. Oh Lord, give us that sense of your presence. Empowering and equipping us to walk in step with the spirit of God day by day. 